Good morning. How y'all doing today? Well, that's great. That's great. I'm gonna. <laughs> sorry, my bad. Um, the scripture this morning is taken from uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 23. I'm sure all of you, we could just all recite it together, um, verbatim. But I will be reading it today from the bulletin um, on page six. If you want to follow along, please feel free to do so. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. I am not Duquan, but it's uh, good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Mike. For those of you who don't know me, I pastor at downtown. And uh, believe it or not, today is a historical Sunday for me because I got here without GPS. Like, I am officially a part of this congregation, right? <laughs> I'm a card-carrying member of Grace Meridian Hill. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for that welcome. Um, well, I know you guys have been going through a series called Who is God? And I am grateful for not only the study, but how God uh, gives us many rich metaphors in the scripture in order that we might understand him more. We know him to be a father. We know him to be a husband. We know him to be our master. But today, this morning, we're going to look at him as our servant and king. And my prayer is that as we continue to understand more and more who God is, that it wouldn't simply be an intellectual or theological exercise, but that our hearts would open up to this servant king, our shepherd, and that in our knowing that we will grow in our loving of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for your grace given to us through community, through your word, and we pray now that your spirit will come and allow these words to come alive in our hearts, that these words would take deep root into our hearts so that we as your people, as community, will grow to love you and become like you in Christ's name. Amen. In the movie, Mary, uh, Jerry Maguire, anyone watch this, Jerry Maguire? Okay, all right. In the movie, Jerry Maguire, there's this moving scene from Tom Cruise when he comes looking for his wife. I'm not going to try to reenact it for your own benefit, but that whole monologue begins with the word hello, right? And it goes something like this. Our company had a very big night, a very, very big night. 
but it wasn't complete, wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. Remember this, right? Soft lighting, right? I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. I miss my wife. I love you. You complete me. I remember watching this as a single guy thinking, man, that's good. That's really good. I'm like taking notes like I'm going to have to steal some of these lines for later. This romantic idea that someone or something could complete us to meet all our needs and satisfy our every longing is a lie. Because when you place such expectations on people and things, you not only crush them, but you will be disappointed. The reason is spelled out for us in the opening pages of the scripture. You see, we were never meant to experience this emptiness, but the moment we pushed God out of our hearts, we have been left to fill that gap for ourselves. And no matter how good, true, and beautiful something or someone is, it cannot replace God. And the life then outside of Eden is marked by pain and suffering as we see in Genesis chapter 3. So the ache and the angst that we carry with us in this journey called life is part of who we are. But the good news of the gospel is that this is not the end. David, the author of Psalm 23, knew this. He was the king of Israel at its height, economically, militarily. He was the king. But even though he had everything at his disposal, all the power, wealth, and fame he could ever ask for, he couldn't find the remedy for the emptiness, the longing, the ache, and the angst in his heart. And we see that here in Psalm 23. And so he lifts our eyes and our faith to the author of life the one who calls us into a relationship with him, the one who longs to be our shepherd and to grant us the glory that he has achieved. And he begins to pen these beautiful words. And here he looks at God in two ways to, to picture his kindness for us. So let's take a look. First, the shepherd. The shepherd. Perhaps as David looks back on his life and remembers all the ways God cared for him. It reminded him of his nomadic days as a shepherd boy. And he begins the psalm with these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, we could really pack, unpack this in our time together this morning. It is so rich here in this banner verse. David says so much of who God is. So we're going to try to breeze through this and, and, and get through the rest of the psalm. Notice he does not say, by my power, my wealth, or my fame, I shall not want. Rather, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And how often do we Washingtonians need to be reminded of this? We often think we have arrived here by the strength of our own, right? Our own wisdom, our own strength, our own achievements that we have arrived but David says, no, it is not because of anything I've done, but simply because of his grace for me, I shall not lack. He does not say, I do not lack, meaning he doesn't say, I have everything I could ever ask for. No, he says, 
the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack. Meaning, God is enough. God is enough. A.W. Tozer, an author and preacher from a generation past, once wrote, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. For having the source of all things he has in one, all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. And the key that unlocks the blessing that David just talked of is this little word called my. Notice David doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. Rather, he says the Lord is my shepherd. You see, it's in our relationship with him that we find him to be everything he promised to be. If you're on the outside looking in, and I'm sure some of you are, you're going to have more questions than anything else. you got to actually dive in the deep end, feet first or head first, however you want to dive in. That's when you begin to realize the riches of the gospel that we talk about, we sing about, and we hear about here in this church. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Despite the desert-like conditions, the shepherd leads his shepherd to green pastures and still waters. And because none of us are shepherds by trade, at least I don't think none of us are, it's easy to miss the nuance of this metaphor. There are two things worth noting here. First, that shepherd provides everything we need. You see, the sheep are afraid of just about everything, including running water. And for good reason. They can't swim. And even if they learn how to swim, their fur would soak up so much water, they would sink right to the bottom. So shepherds would create a pool of standing water for sheep to come and drink. Not only that, he would search far and wide for a piece of green pasture for the sheep to eat. Our God is a God who knows us, and he provides for all our needs. He provides not only for our daily bread, but daily grace to sustain us. We are told in the New Testament that he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness, and that includes everything. We may look at ourselves and say, well, not exactly. No, God has said, I have given you everything you need for life and for godliness. And he has given us this community. We're not an island to ourselves. But when we trust in him, he calls us then into this community where in practical and tangible ways we experience the outworking of this grace right here. People with different gifts, people with different commitments come together to make this body work and to be a part of the body of Christ is no small thing. It is indeed a blessing to be able to come and to see Christ in action. It should give you excitement and anticipation in coming to church. Not something you check off every Sunday morning. But you get to come and see Christ and his body. And he has given us his spirit 
who dwells in us. And on the days that we feel like we cannot hold on any longer, he testifies to Christ and to the salvation we have in him. He has indeed provided everything for us. Secondly, the shepherd protects. Obviously, the shepherd protects from predatory animals, but I am glad that he protects us from ourselves. If you know anything about you, you would be glad that God protects you from you. That's my testimony. I often am surprised, especially while I'm driving here in the city, the ugly things that crop up in my own heart, the words and the, the, the images, the, the, the emotions that just, I am surprised. And I praise God that he puts a lid on that by grace, that he doesn't allow these things to bear fruit, right? Amen? He protects us from us. You see, the sheep have an overeating disease which often leads to death. Did you know this? If you let them graze long enough, they will eat and eat and eat until they die. So the shepherd, after a while, would come and would have to lay the sheep down to say, that's enough. And he saves them from them. From our own appetites that often destroy us. And I praise God for all the times he has said, no, not right now. There are a few things, however, sheep are good at. Okay? The one thing they excel in is stubbornness. They're really good in stubbornness. They wander off constantly without any sense of danger they're in. I mean, they have no horns, no fangs. No armor-plated skin. They have nothing to protect them from other animals who seek to eat them except nice fur. That's all they got, okay? And I am humbled yet so thankful that God calls us sheep. Why? Because he understands. He knows us, and he meets us where we are. He knows that our hearts are bent on going away from him. And I think the hymn, Come That Fount, captures our hearts well when it says, let thy grace like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I live it. I, li I don't feel, I just, I live it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And that's what it means for him to place us on the path of righteousness, verse 3. You see, we often think the word righteousness means some legal or moral perfection. But actually, it's got a deeper theological Old Testament roots, which simply means God, when he deals with us righteously, he shows mercy to sinners. That's what it means. So when David prays, Lord, lead me in the path of righteousness, He's saying two things. First, he's saying, yes, lead me in growth to become more and more like you. Help me to become more Christ-like. But it also means, God, come and rescue me whenever I go astray. And whenever we go astray, God does not roll his eyes at us like, when are you going to get your act straight? 
No, he comes running. Remember the, the parable of the prodigal son? He comes running to rescue us, to receive us, to welcome us once again. But he doesn't always lead us to green pastures and still waters. At times, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Because in the valley, listen, he draws us closer to himself. You see, we get distracted. We're always looking around for the next best thing, holding on to the promise that somehow by obtaining whatever that is, that my life would be better off. And sometimes it takes the valley for us to realize, I got everything I need right here. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. C.S. Lewis chose the metaphor Shadowlands to describe the world that is, a world broken by sin. And we all live in pain and disappointment of life on this side of heaven, in Shadowlands. But for some of us, it's not just a pit stop that we stumble onto from time to time, but it's a place of permanent residence. But here's the good news. For those of you suffering with ongoing struggle, here's the good news. The Christian God inhabits the valley of death for you. That's what the cross is all about. See, because he went to the cross and rose again, because he went to hell and back for you, you and I never have to walk through the valley of death, only its shadow. And shadow is not always bad. As Spurgeon once said, where there is shadow, there must be light. In other words, the shadow is not the end, but glory is. God walks us through the valley of the shadow of death in order to draw us closer to him so that we might once again recalibrate our faith to understand again who he is and everything he has promised to be so that we can continue to walk this journey of faith with our eyes fixed only on him and the prize that is to come. And that's what it takes sometimes. I don't know about you, but left to my own devices, I'm going to run after just about everything. I sense that in my own heart. And in the valley sense his nearness and again like David said I can say it is enough the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and it is in the valley that he draws us near but if you're looking for a solution a way out trying to get rid of the struggle, the pain that you're living through, rather than seeking the Savior, you're going to miss a tremendous opportunity, an opportunity for growth. And so for those of you who find yourself in the valley today, I pray that you would sense his nearness. And like David, you too would be able to say, move on to the second point, the king. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This, it's a picture of an extravagant banquet. This is not just any celebration. It's a victory celebration honoring the champion, the victor, the king before his captives. And David finds himself in an awkward position because he understands that he is not worthy of such glory and honor. For starters, as you read through the Old Testament, we know David had a few hiccups. Not minor ones, but some major ones. There was a whole incident with Bathsheba and Uriah, and then his parenting, not so spectacular. And, uh, you know, when his son Absalom tried to overthrow him, he did what he always did. Nothing. So what's going on? How is David crowned with such honor before his enemies who are hurling insults, reminding him of all the times that he failed to be a good husband, father, and king? What's going on? You see, the king secures the victory. David had no idea how this was going to go down, but the king secures the victory and gives credit where credit is not due, meaning when we place our faith in Christ in exchange for our unrighteousness, he gives us his perfect righteousness. That he would clothe us with his, his glory. And we should stand there thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. This, this no. Not, not to me. No, I. And God basically says, this is my grace for you. His grace for us is not simply letting us in through the door, but he invites us to the very table with the seat, not just any seat at the end of this long table, but it's a seat of honor. And he celebrates our victory. That is in Christ. And the center of the banquet table is the overflowing cup. See, Jesus drank the cup of wrath down to its bitter dregs on the cross. And that, God's people, is our joy. You read about this in the Old Testament. Who could dare drink from the cup of wrath? No one. Yet when we look at the cup of wrath at the foot of the cross, it is empty. And that is cause for celebration for God's people. Meaning we no longer have to fear the wrath of God or live under the weight of his judgment. But when we look into that cup, there's nothing left. And we celebrate the cross. But it doesn't end there. Jesus then takes another cup and he pours it. Not just halfway, but it's spilling over. Table's getting messy. And you wonder what is going on that's enough. And Jesus says, drink, this is my cup of joy for you. And so we come to drink deeply of the cup of joy that he has prepared for us. And it's a cup of resurrection, cup of redemption that we will drink when we see him face to face in the kingdom to come. But in the meantime, we begin to taste that. We begin to taste that as we come to worship, as we spend time with the Lord in prayer. As we get into the word, 
we begin to experience this joy that he holds out for us. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, I'm not a big Michael Bublé fan, or at least I wasn't for a while. Because, uh, you know, I like the original. It's got to be Sinatra, right? That He's the original, right? And um, one time I was driving to a retreat, and I don't know why, like, Churches have retreats in these, like, most secluded, dangerous, like, beginning of a horror flick kind of places. <laughs> you know, why do we do this to ourselves? Like, why can't we just go downtown, you know, pick a hotel and just retreat? Well, <laughs> I, I was asked to speak at, uh, at one of the Christian fellowships at the uh, University of Virginia uh, where they met in this secluded, middle-of-nowhere middle Virginia type of place, and I was scared to death, okay? It was getting dark. I'm driving through this mountain terrain. Sun is beginning to set, and to make things absolutely worse, my internet gets cut off. Pandora done. And I thought, wow, famous last words. But hey, what happened to my Pandora, right? <laughs> and I, you know, when you're scared, man, that's when you, when you pray some, like, sincere prayers. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy on this sinner. <laughs> Help me to get out of this, whatever this is. And I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. I turn the corner, and all of a sudden it opens up. There's this valley. The sun is just at the right angle, cascade of mountains at a distance. And Pandora kicks back in with Michael Bublé's song, I Want to Go Home. I was about to make a U-turn. I'm like, I am going home. <laughs> you know, as crazy as my home is, and I, I have four kids, uh, 10, 8, 6, 4. That's uh, their age and name. Um, <laughs> as crazy as my house is, it's home. From the toys that litter the floor, parents, you know this, right? Those Lego pieces that puncture the bottom of your feet, it should come with a warning label, right, to all the parents. Books that are everywhere, the sound of my boys fighting over anything and everything. I mean, I've seen them fight over trash. I kid you not. One, one boy went to the trash can and pulled something out, and all of a sudden it became treasure. And the other kid was risking his life to obtain it. I mean, they were just going at it. And here's the kicker. That funny smell, all the parents with boys, amen? It just constantly reeks of urine. I don't know what happens in there when the boys close the door behind them. I am in there with Lysol, with Febreze, with Clorox. I, I am working. And I, moments later, I walk in, it's like, wow. It smells like urine again. What do you do in here? I secretly want to put a, want a camera in there just to see what they do. But it's home. It's predictable. It's comfortable. It's secure. It's where I belong. It's where I'm welcomed. I am known. And I'm loved. And I think this idea of home appeals 
to us Washingtonians a bit more, especially with all the transients. As someone once said, it's like hugging a parade here, isn't it? You get to know someone, and before long, they're packing up and moving. And I think our longing for home, which gets underlined in this city, is really our longing for Eden, a place made for us a true home where we are known, welcomed, loved, and celebrated by one another and by God. And no matter how hard we try to build our own versions of Eden, it's just not the same. And as we look ahead to the home promised to us, maybe you're asking, I don't know if I could ever get there. I look to me and my track record and it's not very good. How, how can I ever make it to that place of worship? To a place that I call home? Well, there are two guides who will lead us through they are goodness and mercy. Notice it's not judgment and shame. It's not guilt and fear. No, it's goodness. The goodness of God that we just talked about and his unending mercy for us. And they're not just going to follow me from a distance. No, they're going to pursue me. They're going to pursue me. All the times, I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to Know everything and be everything. Well, that's not true. There are times I find in my heart where I question, and I wonder if I'm going to make it too. My flesh is strong. The impulses of sin that I sense in my own heart sometimes scare me. Yet it's his goodness and mercy that pursue me. Time and time again, reminding me of this grace that I have in Christ, giving me space to just air out all my dirty laundry, to vent all my anger and frustration, and sometimes even my questions and doubts. God is big enough. I sense him just holding me, saying, it's okay. I understand. And they're going to follow me all the way to the finish line. See, the Hebrew word for mercy sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for want. So if we take a step back and see this psalm, we realize what David is saying. It's God's mercy that is the answer to all your longing. You don't have to look elsewhere. You don't even have to turn to green pastures or still waters. That promotion, that GPA, that relationship, that perfect family. No, you got it right here. And it's him. And he is the one who shepherds you, cares for you, and crowns you with glory. And David, I don't think, saw it coming. But he's right. The Lord this glorious, exalted creator God. He is our humble, caring, merciful, getting his hands dirty shepherd who is always with us. Let's pray together.
Father, we give you thanks for your grace for us. Thank you that you delight in us, in knowing us, in caring for us, and being with us all the way to the end. Lord, we place our faith and confidence once again in you and in your promise and in your character. In Christ's name, amen. Okay.